When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The interviews you'll hear today were recorded on June 18th and July 2nd, 2023. Light the fuse. Well, this is not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. Difficult should be a walk in the park for you. Uh, it's all got to do with the rabbit's foot. Please don't make me go through you. Sir, Hunt is the living manifestation of destiny, and he has made you his mission. Kittredge, you've never seen me very upset. And you really think we can do this? We're going to do it. Welcome to Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. Before I introduce my co-host, I just want to let that just let that roll around in your mouth. The official Mission Impossible podcast. Ugh, feels good, doesn't it? Charles Hood, my co-host. Yes, thank you, Drew. Wow, it is wonderful. We are officially official, and it feels so good. Very, very excited to be here today because we've got Haley Atwell on the show uh, for an extended interview you get to hear today, and. It is wonderful. We should talk about uh, who she plays in the movie and how she plugs into the Mission Impossible universe. Okay. Well, she plays a mysterious new character named Grace, who is a thief. She's a jack of all trades. And she intersects with Ethan and the rest of the IMF team in a very unexpected way. Yeah. She soon becomes an integral part of this mystery. Wouldn't you say that, Charles? Yes. I think that's a very good summary. And I'm excited for everybody out there who hasn't seen it to see it, which, by the way, go see Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 in theaters, exclusively in theaters now. Go see it because you should see it before you even listen to this interview. But but if you have to, go ahead and listen to this first and maybe that'll get you excited enough to go see it. I don't know. Go see the movie. Come on, people. What are we doing here? Yeah. And if you, even though she is new to Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, why not watch the other movies, which are available right now on Paramount Plus? Because, you know, yes. you, never, you, just, you need a little pick-me-up, you know? I'm just, yeah. just putting that out there. Of course. Uh, so we're actually going to start out with uh, what's actually interesting. We've, we've got, we did a little mini interview with her at the Junket in Rome. And we're going to start out with that. And just as a tiny disclaimer, I just want to say that uh, Haley does share kind of semi-spoiler stuff in this. So again, go see the movie. I think it's best if you see it first. But it's not really that big of a spoiler. It's just kind of a little, little, little something, something. But It's a light glazing of uh, spoilers. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we're going to start out with this mini interview in Rome and we'll come back with the longer one. But uh, I also want to say that later in the episode, we do bring up Wade. And just to be clear about who Wade is, who is Wade, Drew? I mean, you know that our show is all about highlighting the amazing people behind the scenes who work on these movies. Who is Wade? And why is he so great? Oh, well, Charles, thank you for asking me. Wade is Wade (laughs) Eastwood, who is a legendary stunt performer. And in the very early days of this podcast, uh, back, you know, long ago, he drove me around in a car 
around a racetrack in Palm Springs, <laughs> and I saw my life flash before my eyes. So, well, he's not, and he's not just a stunt performer; he's a stunt coordinator and second unit yes. director. Right. I mean, he's done yes. that for all the movies, I believe, since Rogue Nation. Yep. And uh, yeah. And, and, and so he, he is amazing. And we are really trying hard to get him on the show. So we'll, we're going to make that happen. Um, an integral part of the of all these productions. And so, yeah. Anyway, that's who Wade is when he comes up later. So just a little heads up. And now uh, we're going to go back to Rome for a few minutes and check out uh, our little junket interview with, with Haley. Ooh, exciting. Well, we wanted to ask you about something specific, which is that you get to wear a mask in this movie. Yeah. Are we allowed to do spoilers? Well, we'll save it for later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But what was that? What was that like for you? I loved it. Actually, I stole one of the latex masks from the makeup department and I put it on um, and I hid in Simon Pegg's trailer over Halloween and I decked out his trailer with lots of cobwebs and and floating skulls and then jumped out at him. (laughs) Crazy man person. (laughs) So it was great fun. It was, you know, it was a huge honor as well. When I found out that both Vanessa and I would be playing with the mask gag, it was, you know, it's a big, it's a real privilege. So something that I took very seriously. Did you study here? Was it, because it's kind of a yeah. face-off like scenario, you know, you get to impersonate yeah. Vanessa Kirby. Well, she gets she to impersonate she did, me. Did, yeah. did, did, did that, was that weird to see her do that? She was so good. And she, I mean, we'd hung out a lot. We knew each other a bit before. She was very much my rock on set because she was so kind and so welcoming. And so when it came to, they were like, we, we want to try this thing between the Grey Widow, as you know, we nicknamed the White Widow, dressed as Grace, dressed as the White Widow, became the Grey Widow. It was very confusing. You can't overthink it too much. Um, and what was remarkable, which she didn't do intentionally, you know, when she comes out the ca- cabin and she sees her brother there, and she just goes like that with her hair. And I do that earlier in the car, and it's brilliant because immediately all these little gestures lock us two together, and you go, "Oh, I'm watching Grace." Right. It's it's seamless. Tell us about the train. We want to know everything, but whatever you can fit in two minutes and nine seconds. Yeah. Has, has, has Tom or McHugh told you what what got me through the train sequence? No. You know that scene where we go from vertical to from horizontal to vertical in six seconds a full-size train carriage and you're on a steep sprinting incline jumping onto a bar and holding yourself over this ravine and I'd done it five or six times and um it was being reset and I was kind of like waiting for the train carriage to return to its original position and I was just kind of I think I was just hanging out kind of gazing into the distance like a very lost sad sheep and Tom went are you okay and I was like I don't know And he's like, what's what's up? And I was like, Tom, I don't even know what I don't know. (laughs) Like, I was delirious. And he went, you have adrenal fatigue. You need chocolate right now. And I was like, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Bring it on. And he presented me this beautiful box of chocolate. And I looked. Did he use close-up magic to do it? Yeah, he was like, you need this. And I was like, ah. And uh, and then and then so I scoffed a ton of chocolate and then I was like let's go and then like that's of course the take they end up using because I've got like magic back in my eyes. <laughs> like, ah! I can't picture him eating chocolate. You know, we we try to get details on when he's eating M and M's and things like that. It's very hard to come by. It's very. I think he just obviously makes it himself. Yeah. He's yeah. Obviously, he's got like he's probably got a little chocolate shop somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like just a side hustle. Yes. <laughs> 
What is it? I mean, you you auditioned for Jack Reacher ten years ago, yeah. Right. What was it like to finally be a part of this team? Um, inevitable. <laughs> I was like, third time's a charm. Yeah. I'd auditioned for Oblivion as well, so I'd met Tom at those those auditions. Always was struck, as I as I know every actor who talks about what it's like to audition or work with him, with his his how present he is with people that come in, and he gives them so much of his time and attention, making sure that they feel very seen and safe and coming up with creative ideas themselves. And he really kind of gives back the power. He demystifies the whole Tom Cruise thing and wants you to thrive and wants you to bring your the full creativity to what you're doing. And with McHugh, he'd seen me in London on stage about 10 years ago and said, I want to, I want that thing that you can do on stage. And I don't know what character it is yet, but I want to write it for you. So we cut to 10 years later and I feel like it's, it was, it was like a 10 year audition. <laughs> <laughs> and when I auditioned for this, it was already like a, a work, we were workshopping. We were throwing out ideas and they were like, try one where she's less knowing. Try one where she, she shares, she's holding us onto a secret. Try one where she is, she's kind of trying to size him up because she doesn't trust him. And so it already felt that we had just started to work together. And so it felt kind of very natural that we ended up here, handcuffed to each other in Rome. <laughs> it's, it's quite a performance. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you so much. Thanks. We'll be back with more from Haley Atwell after the break. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Rise and shine, football fans. Start your day the right way with Morning Footy, a podcast that covers every aspect of the global game, headlines, match previews, analysis, interviews, culture, fashion, and plenty of banter. Join as we track the thrills and spills of Europe's biggest title races, the business end of the Champions League season, a summer packed with international competitions, MLS, NWSL, and much more. Subscribe to Morning Footy. Charles, was that enough for you? I mean, just four minutes with Haley Atwell, is that? It was not enough. I think you you specifically counted down. You were like, because there, there was a counter that was that was telling us how many how many minutes we had left. It was incredibly <laughs> ominous. It was a little screen as we were interviewing them. It was very Mission Impossible like. There was a it was a fuse that was that was coming to its end, and we had to get all our questions in before it ended. It was awesome to talk to her. Awesome to hear about the Gray Widow. I love that. That's so cool. Yes. And uh, of course, we've got more. We've got we we did a full sit down with her after Rome, where we could dive deeper. And uh, we can get into that now if you want, Drew. Um, you got anything else? You, you got anywhere else going to be? Let me think about that. You know what? Let's do it. You know what? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. So this is this is our longer interview with Haley Atwell, and we'll be back afterwards. So Haley, you know we've heard McHugh talk about this whole thing about he casts actors and then develops the character. How much of Grace was there when you got hired? And then 
Like, what was that sort of exploratory process like? That's a good question. I remember in the screen test, they would um, they invite me to watch playback, you know. They'd set up the screen test where there was like lighting. It was, a, you know, a, a set effectively. And then I'd watch some of the audition back, you know, so it wasn't like in a, in a room with a strobe, light, you know, strip lighting and, um, you know, just me sat at a table. It was actually properly lit. And I'd had hair and makeup and I was wearing like a white shirt and black trousers. I knew that she'd be sort of like a, wanted to look like a professional woman, um, whoever that would be. And whatever she would, you know, do as a professional, I thought, well, she's going she's gonna to come dress smart. And um, we looked at the playback and there was just a couple of takes where he said, it's funny, in that take, you seem to be withholding information. Like, I don't quite trust what she's saying. And I like that. And then he said, but then there's also moments where you've done another take where you're so open. We sort of are worried for you (laughs) because you seem really vulnerable. And then there was ones where they said, oh, it's interesting because the way that you played that, it feels like you're you're actually, you know, that you're so enamored by him that it's like, oh, my God, love at first sight. But then you've also played one where it feels like entirely a flirtatious, seductive tactic to be able to distract him so you can pick his pocket. So in the screen test, what they were seeing was just sort of that I could bring a range of different qualities, really which meant that we weren't settling on one thing at that point with who she'd be. And I thought, and I really like working in that way. And I like that they were so, they had enough time, it seemed, to let me have a go playing it in lots of different ways rather than going, okay, that's the most sexy, do that. Right, <laughs> right she's that, that's how she's going to be, that's going to sell the movie, let's, met. you know, that they were... They wanted me to, they were like, fuck, she's got range here. So let's let's give different versions of Grace as much as we can. So in the edit, we can start to put together the, the versions of her that as we go along feel nuanced or feel like it gives her somewhere to go. So I, so I suppose what I'm saying is early on, the fact that I could make her consistently inconsistent by trying lots of different qualities is the thing that we settled on with her, that she's she's a chameleon and that she's adapting in her environment in order to either disappear from it or to survive in it. So this process was going, started at the audition and went all the way through production. Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't until I saw it, I was like, oh, that's how she, oh, you went for those, those takes. Okay. They were, um, Eddie Hamilton and and McHugh, when I went to see them in the edit, they were like, you've given us so much. Thank you. And also it's hard because we just were like, you know, which version of Grace do we want to use in this moment? And so that we could dial it up, we could dial it down, we could, she's more comedic and light here. Now this is, well, she's like on the, you know, the verge of a nervous breakdown. This one suggests she has a like real past trauma. This one suggests that she's kind of probably sociopathic, you know, (laughs) just me bouncing around uh, like a kid in a candy store. Wow. Does that inform how you approach it in eight? We're not going to we're not going to talk about eight, but I do. I think that in seven, again, it's you want to you want to find I was trying lots of different things, but I also knew and hoped and and wanted them to you want to see a change in grace. All the characters that we care about follow an arc and they follow a journey. And if they are this, if they remain the same, then they're just really there as furniture to um to facilitate the protagonists or the or the narrative change, but you know, I, I want to. I think a leading a leading role has got to feel like um, 
that they've gone through something because the audience are going through something as well with them. And so um, Grace has this sort of moment of her own reckoning. <laughs> she has her own reckoning and dead reckoning. <laughs> um, where... <laughs> You know, when she has sort of like that moral awakening, I suppose, or when she says, and I love it, I love it, when she's, you know, it's Vanessa's performance of her going, I just realised that I would be selling more than just a key or there would be something more that I was giving away. And um, she's from someone who is strictly single, lone wolf, untrustworthy. She's been... um, the actual, she started to trust the friendship that was offered to her. Um, and so I think you want to have elements of who Grace was and always will be, but also you want to feel that actually she's now, she's now um, leaning into something rather than trying to avoid it, you know. So I think that's, that's where we want to take her next, partly. But, I mean, look, who am I? Tom McHugh might be like, no, she's actually an alien. Um, <laughs> It's it's ultimately like McHugh says, as you guys know, it's ultimately what is it that the movie wants? You know, so McHugh said there is the movie you want to make. Then there is the movie you're making in actual production. And then there is the movie you discover you've actually made in the edit. <laughs> and they can be three very different things. Yeah. And I think that's probably my experience of Grace, too. Wow. And when you're doing all those different takes, all the different versions you were talking about before, that has started all the way back from the you know the the screen test through all the way to production. Was there ever like a, a, a like a narrowing of the focus of what the was? It, were you always doing all those countless versions, or was there like a version of Grace that in the middle of the shoot you left behind? Um, yeah, well, we did. They they liked that she was kind of playful with him and sort of slightly unpredictable and always trying to get out of the situation. So in the quality I think you see and probably what makes her feel quite alive on on camera is that there is this uh, sort of hypervigilance. She's always kind of trying to work out what she's going to do next, which gives it sort of like a, you know, there's probably that's some of the electricity that she has with Ethan. She's just sort of very present with him. There's a lot of kind of an inner world going on. So I think it's I think it's that. I think it's the, the hypervigilance, um, the working out her next move. And then... Then what sort of sort of came up, you know, and this is probably what McHugh liked from my stage work. I did a beautiful, like this beautiful play called The Pride. It's really moving without being sentimental. Just it was really, um, it's to do with sort of uh, a woman who's covering up the thing that she knows that's very painful for her to have to address. So she does a scene where she's kind of communicating what she what she knows um, without actually saying what it is, if that makes sense. And so in relate, relating to that, I think what we wanted to settle on and what was really important to me as an actor to want to settle on is it's fun that she's all these things. It creates momentum and, and a chemistry and an electricity and action and it creates that energy and that forward momentum. But for me, I was going, well... But then why is someone like that? Because if I can work out sort of a plausible psychological profile for her or something that feels m- more truthful to an inner world, then it's going to happen. Then, then it might, it, I might be able to offer a bit of emotional depth to it. 
within the sort of uh, the genre of what this film needs to be. So I sort of then, well, if someone is a strictly single-o who doesn't trust anyone, who's always trying to avoid people and trying to duck and dive and disappear, who's not loyal, untrustworthy, also tends to sort of betray people, uh, not in a calculating or cruel way, uh, but more out of need of, to survive. And if she's described as an orphan and that she grew up poor, then... You're dealing with someone who's had, who's got a wound there because I felt like, I mean, this is to get all very deep. I know that I'm not doing Shakespeare. I know that I'm doing a Mission Impossible entertaining, incredible movie, but it, I'm going to say it anyway. I don't care. <laughs> I felt like if we as people are born wired for attachment, uh, we have to be attached to our primary caregiver in order to survive. And that connection is the thing that... Um, has evolved us to where we are now. We have to rely on family, our friends, our society, our groups, our tribes. And if she's not, then you've got someone who's really struggling and is really alone there. So I thought, oh, okay, so the thing that she wants the most, which is friendship, connection, belonging, is also the thing that she's always running away from, friendship, connection, belonging. And that's a very painful place to be, I think. And so when Ethan offers her the choice and says, I can't promise you that I can save your life, but I promise you that your life will always matter more to me than my own. And she goes, but you don't even know me. I wanted to play it, and we thought that the, we settled on the take where she can't quite believe, you know, this is the... She didn't realise until that moment that's the only thing she's ever really wanted to hear from someone and actually wanted to believe it. And yet... If she is going to believe it, then f**k. <laughs> because the cost of now caring about someone and being cared for by someone uh, has its whole load of dangers and risks. But that's that's the take that we settled on. So my deep thinking, reflective, philosophical armchair psychology on her <laughs> went somewhere. <laughs> Went somewhere. Don't judge me for it. But that's, yeah, that's, I think, where we are. <laughs> that's lovely. We'll be back with more from Haley Atwell after the break. When we first talked to you, it was actually uh, in 2020. It was on our old show. And you had talked about, I believe what you had talked about was that you, you and McCory had found out that you were very good with knives. Is that, does that sound familiar? Did we talk about that all the way back then? Mm, yeah. And we got to see you with some kind of switchblade knives here. We, we love to see that. I mean, um, there wasn't, I mean, a lot of that, a lot of that was cut because, you know, much to my, I'm like, yeah, but I'm so much better than Grace was. You know, like my fight on the bridge was so much longer than it's ended up being. I think there's one trailer that you can see that I backflip on the bridge. I do the splits in the train carriage. You know, I, this is my ego now going, guys, I just, I, they caught me a lot. <laughs> but one of the reasons why is because I think they wanted, they didn't want Grace to be, they wanted her to be, you know, a bit more raw and reckless and unrefined in her skill. And because you want to feel that if she's seemingly sort of, oh, if there's a risk that she's probably not going to make it, you know, to see her struggle and to see her in pain, it gives her um, 
I think of an ability, right? That the audience go, oh, I'm a bit worried for her. You know, she's giving it a go, but I don't really know if she's capable of this. And I, I, I like, quite like that they went there with that. I quite like that they, in an action film, they weren't just going for what looked the coolest uh, or the slickest or the most, um, yeah, most refined. They liked her messier. They liked her not as skilled or competent. Um, so I ended up being better with knives or uh, better at drifting than obviously she's perceived in the film. And I had to be in order to be able to do it safely, basically. Right. Well, we have to talk about the, the car chase, obviously, is amazing and required so much choreography. What was it like with you and Tom in that car, in those moments? <laughs> Tell us everything. It was so funny. <laughs> we, uh... It was really fun. I think by the because I drift, we'd been studying it for so long. By the time we got there, we we knew that we there's there's so much like health and safety talks. And Tom is as you as you probably know, like he'll every time he got into that car, we were he was going, okay, let's where are the danger zones in this car? What's the blind spots? What's sticking out? What could I hurt my head or my hand on? You know, how tight can the handcuffs be? Are they going to kind of scrape on? Um, like they can I not? make sure if I don't yank him too much um, or he yanks me too much. So you're having to sort of work out how to make it look reckless, but be very gentle with each other and really attentive to the other person and make sure I'm not sort of slamming into him too much when, when we drift and therefore my body is kind of going to be like shoving into him or, or interrupting his view. You know, there's all that stuff where you're like, just don't kill Tom Cruise. Just don't, just don't. <laughs> and then I remember one scene where um, on actual, oh, the camera was starting to roll. And at this point I'm shoved right up against his body and I've got my hand on his seatbelt as well as being both handcuffed to each other, right? So we're starting as if we're in a kind of a tense situation. And so like my face is squished up against his face and the camera starts to roll and he goes, are you ready? I'm like, oh yeah. And he goes, are you going to let go? And I was like, yep, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to surrender. I'm just going to see what happens. Just be in the moment. Gonna let go. And he went, no, I need you to let go, literally, because I need you to actually take your hand off the seatbelt so I can get out of the car. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. And were, I mean, were there any che- was he actually driving with you? He was driving one-handed with you handcuffed. There were no cheats. Like, that was actually him driving with you handcuffed together. Yeah, that's him driving. That's him driving. Wild. And then, and that's me driving. Also handcuffed. Also handcuffed, yeah. Wow. There was, I don't know if I've... T- talked about it and I guess I haven't with you guys but there was a moment where um it started we were by the Imperiali by the you know the wedding cake monument in Rome and it was that whole area is kind of cobbled and there's lots of stunt cars coming in and out and um they wanted to get you can see it on YouTube you can see the footage they had three cameras on the windscreen all four doors are um whacked off by this point and Wade came over to me and I always know Wade is about to ask me something really difficult because he gets really calm and pretends there's nothing wrong. (laughs) And I'm like, that's really suspicious. (laughs) And he just went, uh, okay, so you just, uh, yeah, uh, no problem. Just going to, on action, you're going to drift around this corner and do lots of donuts, as many as you possibly can. And then you're going to drift out again and go in the opposite direction. And then you're going to do a sort of a loop and then come back in. And then you're going to come back into the centre, drift around again, and then, you know, come back out again. And there'll be some cars and there'll be some equipment. And you'll just work it out as you go along. Okay, you ready? Go. Off you go. (laughs) And um, Tom also came in. I also know when Tom's about to ask me to do something scary because he also gets very calm and (laughs) dad-like. And he also sort of goes, look, 
it's going to be fine. I'm like, what? What's going to be fine? What do, you, what do you want me to do? What, this is, what are you being so calm about it for? They're like, you know, anytime you feel uncomfortable, you just stop. You just stop. doesn't matter. We'll work it out. We'll have the stunt double come in. She'll do it. It'll be fine. And the minute I heard that, I was like, no, I'm doing it. Whatever it is, I'm doing it. <laughs> and, uh, and then so on action, you, see, you know, I, I come in, I drift, I go out, come back in, drift around, do some donuts. And at the same time, he's also acting. You know, he's, he's uh, you know, throwing out lines of dialogue to me as he's handcuffed to me. And of course, the passenger seat in any in any regard in any context is not some is not the preference for Tom Cruise. <laughs> he would rather be in the controlling, uh, you know, in the in the by the, by the steering wheel. But he, um, you know, in that moment, he gave he gave me the platform to do that, and I sort of did. I just did it, and then we stopped the car, and then he got out of the car, and then he gave me a, a round of applause, and he went, "Haley Atwell, everyone!" And then the crew applauded me, and I was going, "Oof." That's nice. What if I, what, is it, is that, well, I just did my job. You told me to get competent at drifting, so I've done that. And I got very English about it. <laughs> and then McHugh took me out for lunch. You remember he had a spaghetti carbonara. And I was very jealous of it because it looked delicious. But I had I, a big afternoon, so I knew I couldn't, I was just going to go to sleep if I'd had the same thing. And he just said, <laughs> um, you know, in the, in the 40 years that he's been working, he's never put, his life into someone's hands the way he just did that right now. You were literally drifting Tom Cruise while he was handcuffed to you on location in this city. And anything had gone wrong, that would have, you know, that would have been on you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, it was it was amazing. And, you know, but also in the in the take, I had to work out whether or not, you know, when he was like, stop, stop, stop. I had to work out whether that was Tom telling Haley to stop because I was, you know, in danger or he was in danger or I had to work out whether that was Ethan speaking to Grace, at which point Grace could be like, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to take a left. Or I had to work out whether he was asking me as Grace to say, stop, stop, stop. So, I, you know, I was like, is this his director's hat, producer's hat, Eth actor's hat? Like, what, you know, or <laughs> who's talking to me right now? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> How many times did you hear, don't be careful, be competent? <gasps> During that shoot. Oh my God. I, all the time. But I also heard the word, hell yeah, because that was my nickname. <laughs> which there was a lot of fist bumping. And when I would turn up on set, they'd be like, here she comes, here's hell yeah. And uh, that was sort of set me up for the day. It was really sweet. Is that your Wade Eastwood impression? No, that's my Tom and McHugh's impression. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, that's Tom and McHugh. Okay. Wade's impression is, don't f up, don't make me look bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was more him. <laughs> One of our favorite moments in the movie, I think, is is during the Rome car chase where you and Tom get into the Fiat and then you start to go and then there's, he sort of, he's getting used to the car and he kind of crashes it a little bit. And then there's this little interaction between the two of you where it's sort of a double entendre, the way Drew and I interpreted it, where it's sort of like a couple that's uh, yeah. intimate and has had a little mishap. And he's taken off too early. <laughs> did that? Where did that? Did that? Was that always? Was that idea there? Like when you started the scene, or did it evolve out of something? Was it written, or was it improvised, or how did that play out? Yeah, it, it sort of happened in the moment. And Tom and McHugh loved the idea that Ethan was being undermined by a Fiat 500 and made more embarrassed by the fact that this girl, this woman didn't know him. So didn't really know how impressive his track record had been. 
And so I sort of felt a little bit embarrassed for him in that moment. <laughs> so from that, we were like, okay, if that's, if that's what we'll go for here, then um, we'll just improvise that. So when the went, you know, you can see my eyes kind of following the windscreen and then kind of looking at him kind of like, oh, it's a bit confusing. What's he doing there? Um, and there were moments when, you know, that we'd also tried stuff where they felt like, oh, no, no, don't, don't make her look like she's, she's not she's not being mean about him she's not laughing at him she's not kind of like going what a loser she's actually she's very supportive (laughs) she's supportive yeah totally (laughs) working with tom feels like that more old school way of working in movies where you're just creating an environment for two actors to really just be present with each other on camera rather than too scripted I love that about American movies, where it feels kind of loose in its in what it's doing. You go, that gesture there, or that exclamation they make, or that reaction there, like that ain't scripted because that's just two people connecting with each other, and you know they're they're comfortable with each other. And I and I so I love that we were able to get that into something like this, which had been in many other ways inc- meticulously planned out and had to be in order to do it safely. We have one minute left with you, Haley. But yeah, we have to ask: When you were making the train sequence, did you have any inclination that you were committing perhaps the greatest train sequence committed to film? <laughs> did you have any idea that that's what was going on when you were shooting this thing for months? I remember going into the production meeting, and I brought my dogs in, and we all kind of sat there uh, watching Tom discuss with the designers and the engineers and McHugh about what that set piece was going to be and look like. And we had like a, a model uh, that I was kind of a train that I was kind of playing with, and they was being able to show us kind of in terms of like when one carriage goes up, another one will go down, and. And then they showed us sort of an animation of what they thought some of the action inside for us would be. And uh, by that point, I was like, sure, whatever. Yeah, sure. (laughs) I'm going to, whether I like it or not, I will be suspended in a vertical train carriage for probably quite a few months here. And I did feel a bit like when I was that kid who, who went to see Titanic and that bit where it sort of, you know, starts to go up and go vertical and everyone sort of slides down. And I remember the impact of watching that in the, just my head and my kind of hands just amazed by it when I watched it. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I think just the way that they're talking and the, the way that they're designing this, it sounds like this extraordinary epic set piece that's, totally driven by these two characters who by this point are going to be a team working together and you care about them enough to um you know to want them to make it yeah (laughs) it's really it's really incredible i mean my fiance watched it and he was like i want to inject that train sequence into my veins (laughs) (laughs) he was like that is the best thing i've ever seen Yep, same. Yeah, Yeah, the sentiment is shared. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Haley, thank you so much for chatting with us. Uh, It was such a thrill. All right, guys. Have a good one. Nice to speak with you. Thank you so much. Well, Charles, how you feeling about that? I feel good. How do you feel, True? 
I feel great. <laughs> I feel great. I think she's wonderful. I think she's so kind and has, you know, like you, you said, we talked to her in 2020 uh, for the first time. Yes. Before maybe production had even really started. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. In the height of the pandemic, we talked to her. That was a long time ago. Yeah, it was. That was amazing. And it was, yeah, so we've now get, catching up with her now after that is it's a really, really cool thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Grace is one of the awesome new characters in Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, which, Charles, I don't know if I've mentioned this or not, but it's playing exclusively in theaters right now. Yeah, I think you did mention that, but it's always good to mention it again. Okay. Get out there. Go see it. See it on the biggest screen possible. It is awesome. It is now playing exclusively in theaters. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. And also, if you want to catch up on the old movies... Uh, where do they, where, where should people do that, Drew? I think you can actually go to Paramount Plus and watch all of the older movies. You can actually watch, I think, the, the television show as well. So you can just dive deep into your Mission yes. Impossible lore, right? Like just Paramount ooh. Plus, yes. And there's some new 4K steelbooks out there as well. I mean, we've got, it's a, for all six movies, they've got 4K steelbooks out now, which are pretty awesome. They're pretty great. Um, Charles, if I could just mention a couple of other things. I just want to make sure everybody likes, subscribes, rates, and reviews wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you're listening to it on Apple Podcasts, do it there. If you're listening to it on Spotify, do it there. But the point is, like it, subscribe, yes. rate, and review, right? Yeah, like, because, yes, because Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, is available wherever you get your podcasts. And that's where you should rate it and review. Actually, rate it and review it everywhere. Yeah, exactly. And also, you know, you're, we get there's new episodes of this show every Tuesday. So come back. I want to also remind you to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, uh, where you are Charles Hood with two zeros in your last name. And I'm Drew Tailored, like a tailored shirt. Tell us what you think of the podcast. Give us uh, suggestions for episodes. But Charles, we don't want people to just follow us on social media. They have to follow the show. Oh, do they have to? I guess they could if they wanted to. I think they have to. I think there might be dire repercussions if they don't. They're obligated to? Okay. If you feel obligated to follow our show on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and that's at Light the Fuse Pod. So you can go ahead and do that if you'd like. Well, you're, you're being a lot more lenient than I am, but, you know, <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. We'll be back with an all-new episode of Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, very soon. Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, is produced by Charles Hood. That's me and Drew Taylor. This episode was edited by Luke Burson with music by Kevin Blumenfeld. Original Mission Impossible themes by Lalo Schifrin. This podcast is a production of Paramount Pictures. All rights are reserved. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. 